Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Modern Energy Management Podcast. This is a show for sustainability, energy, and facility innovators to share their stories and learn energy and sustainability best practices from their peers. My name is Amber Artrip, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nate Nillis. Thanks, Amber. Can't wait. Always fun to have somebody on the show that we've known for a while. This will be good. Yes, and today we have our friend, Kyle Shipp, who is the Director of Smart Buildings at DPR. Welcome to the Hi. show, Kyle. Hi, thanks for having me on. So Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Smart Buildings and your role at DPR. Sure, yeah. I got uh, my degree in industrial engineering, actually, so kind of a quality and, and manufacturing focus, um, and then ended up working for a national uh, control company, uh, doing HVAC control and, uh, you know, building automation, did a lot of, uh, corporate offices and schools there, and then got into data centers, um, and also did a, a large corporate campus. Um, after about five years with them, I came to DPR, um, a little over five years ago in a MEP coordinator role. So mechanical, electrical, plumbing coordination, um, and, and did that sort of traditional MEP role, um, making sure that all the systems go in correctly and are coordinated. Uh, did that for a lot of data centers, some life sciences, some, some pharma manufacturing facilities, and then had the opportunity to work on a couple of our uh, offices that we built for ourselves as well. And now I recently started a new, new role working with smart buildings specifically. And really what I'm trying to do there is integrate people with buildings. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the systems in buildings, but the reality is that the people that are going to work in that building or live in that building don't really care about uh, BACnet or, or JSON or, or any of that stuff. They want a, a comfortable building that they are happy to go to each day. So we, we try and make sure that that is a smooth process from design and construction and the, the turnover to operations. And I know, I know you didn't mention it, but uh, you were in the Army for 16 years before that. So thanks for your service. Glad to do it. Thank you. Kyle, thanks again. And, you know, I know DPR has a really unique approach to, you know, net zero buildings. I know you have your living laboratories and you want to talk a little bit about that, where you really focus on the occupants first, right, before just uh, doing any kind of a build. So I'd love to open it up and hear a little bit about your new role at DPR and have you tell us a little bit about your approach to smart buildings. Sure. Yeah. So we um, we talk about our offices, uh, which most people call them as living laboratories. And really, it's a place where we can have, you know, innovation that, that we live in um, and, and show people how to design, build and, and operate a, a office that is sustainable and affordable. Um, and, you know, we do that ourselves. Our, we have three that are certified net zero and three that are in progress right now. And the, the first one was San Diego in uh, 2010 and then uh, followed by Phoenix in 2013. And actually at the, the time, Phoenix was the largest commercial office building in the world that was uh, net zero energy certified, um, since been surpassed, certainly. Um, and then um, San Francisco in 2016, and that was also the first building in San Francisco to be net zero certified. 
Well, when you think about, uh, you know, companies that, that do the same thing as you guys are similar, right? Or, or working on similar types of buildings. What is, you know, very unique to, to DPR and in your approach, I mentioned the occupants, but uh, walk us through that. What are you guys doing? That's, that's so different. What what we really try and do from the uh, design and construction side of of any building, whether it's a net zero specifically or just you know what we might call a smart building these days, is work really early on with the design team. So that's the uh, architect and and the the MEP design team, um, which I, which I think is fairly typical. But we also make sure we bring in the the building users and the building operators and owner. Um, at the very beginning of the project as well, you know, ideally, um, really before anything is drawn and we, we start looking at the um, certainly, you know, owner project requirements and, and get everybody involved at that stage so that the um, facility is, you know, usable for the occupants and maintainable um, and can be constructed in a cost effective way and, and really meets the, the needs that they're looking for. Um, and then we also, as we get a little further into the design, we really like to do uh, mock-ups of certain systems or even even a mock-up of a whole facility or a whole conference room uh, to really get the, the integration of all the, the pieces working together. And is it typically when they're, when they're going through those design phases, do they bring in a lot of different employees to have feedback on that? Is it, is it generally just... Uh you know, owners, senior management, is it, you know, just trying to think if it's a, a bigger group effort? Uh, we, we certainly like to do um, everyone. And, and we've, we've done that approach in, in our offices as well, where we, um, you know, even do a, a survey of, of all occupants um, and see how they feel uh, about the current office that they're in, what they would like about a, a new office. And, um, you know, what, one thing we really do try and focus on is the, the user experience of the office. And um, just they are, the users are the most important people in the office. And so we can make it as interesting looking or as uh, energy efficient as we want to. But if people don't want to work there, then it, it's not an overall benefit in the end. So do you think that's more like, uh, you know, we see a lot out in the market now about uh, wellness, right? And like the wellness standards. So there's a big piece of what you're doing that is, you know, energy efficient, sustainable. But do you see a shift when you're talking about the occupants on that? How much is the, the wellness and experience portion of that, you know, taking effect in some of the, the designs that you guys are working on? Absolutely. That, that's really the, the primary factor that that we see now and that we uh, strive for now. So our um, new office in DC was built about two years ago. Um, we're, we're going through the, the net zero process on that, but it is a, a well-certified building as well. Um, then we just, we just finished offices in um, Sacramento and Austin as well that are going for well certification. Um, it, and that, that's a specific one, but it really gets to the occupant, um, experience and in, in the lifestyle of the employees. And the, the reality is that we spend the majority of our time uh, awake in offices. And it's, it's certainly clear now that your know, environment will affect your health, um, not just the things in the air or things in the water that we typically think of, but even um, stress and its impact on chronic disease. Um, and, you know, certainly employers want 
employees that that will stay. And and the reality is that uh, healthcare is a is a cost that employers bear as well. So there's there's lots of benefits to having a an office where people want to uh, work and feel comfortable and, and are able to be healthy. And and that can really manifest itself in a lot of ways. Uh, one thing we did intentionally in the in the DC office was put the uh, kind of standard office desk area at one end of the building and the kitchen at the other end of the building. So we offer uh, lots, lots of snacks and things like you do. Um, but if you're going to snack during the day, it involves a, a little bit of a walk to, to get there. Um, and that includes interaction with, with people you might bump into along the way. And then uh, there's a lot of thought about the, the, you know, even the snacks that we put in there. Uh, we, we still offer uh, soft drinks, but they're in an eight ounce can instead of a 12 ounce can and uh, try and educate the the office users about the the choices they make and, and make sure we have healthy choices available for for people to um, snack on and, and even into the catering that we bring into the office we we do that uh, from a healthy perspective. Man, it sounds like Amber, he might have had a hand in, uh, you know, our office, uh, making our bathroom like 200 yards away from the office. I know. We get our steps <laughs> in, that's for sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't I've think it was so many steps. Like that, but, um. I don't think it was a wellness design, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess we're getting our, our, our steps. So aside from that, what about just specifics? You know, I know most of us are in, un, I guess you call it unhealthy building or right. Your standard building that uh, was not designed it, with these kind of things in mind. What are some cool and unique, you know, health and wellness, you know, features, right. Outside of just a distance of something that you've seen go into uh, some of the projects you guys worked on. Uh, so one of them, and, and this goes a little bit to the distance thing, but is, is easily accessible stairways. Um, stairways are often relegated to kind of the back corners and maybe don't have the good finishes, but um, we found that a uh, primary, you know, accessible staircase will, will get used a lot um, versus versus a uh, elevator, say. Um, and so you want kind of both of those options to be readily available to people um, as they as they look for ways to move around, um, and then some of the other things we've we've done um, certainly uh, green walls in in plants. There's a lot of uh, research as well that that shows the connection between uh, nature. You know, making sure that people have a a good view outside if possible, and uh, in, in interior plants and in uh, access to to sunlight, whether that's through uh, you know skylights or or any other methods. And um, we also try and make sure we have uh, excess fresh air in there. So in the, in the DC office, which is uh, pretty unique for the, the mid-Atlantic area, but we did a 100% outside air system or a dedicated outside air system, DOAS. And so um, that's, that's not generally a great choice for a net zero office in a really uh, tough environment like the mid-Atlantic, but it was a, a choice we made, uh, you know, based on the, the health and, and uh, we, you know, we, also designed it to be able to to get net zero with that, but um, it's just it's just nicer if you have a hundred percent fresh air uh, all the time. What about uh, and I know you guys have that beautiful uh, plant wall in the office there in San Francisco um, that we visited. It was uh, not only cool looking, but it's uh, you're right. It does it does uh, 
also help on the, on the health side of it. What about um, just maintenance, right? I, I think of all these things that you're putting in and, and it seems expensive. Do you guys find to maintain these buildings is, is a lot higher cost or is it a lot lower cost once they spend the money up front to uh, design them that way? Yeah, we've actually found that it's that it's pretty similar um, to a to a more regular office. But uh, like that, San Francisco is a good example. There is a lot of uh, of caretaking in, involved in those plants, and so we've we've taken some some different approaches. Um, again, I'll use the the DC office. We we actually just welded shelves in between the steel beams there in, in the pockets of the beams and put uh, potted plants in there. So it sort of looks like the the beams are you know, plants in that case, but it's really easy to uh, take care of those, those potted plants versus a uh, dedicated green wall system with all the uh, filtration and, and things involved in that. So that was an easy thing that we could do and an, an easy thing that could be added to, to any office really. Yeah, something interesting that I remember you talking about when we talk about costs, there's the, the three and the 3300 rule. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners? Sure. The 330-300 rule was developed by JLL, I believe, mm -hmm. and it refers to cost per square foot per year for a building once it's been constructed. And so the $3 is utilities, $30 is rent, and $300 is payroll. So when we talk about energy efficiency, we talk a lot about uh, construction costs, and we talk even more about the operation cost. What what we generally don't talk about now um, is the the cost of you know inefficiency with employees or um, you know having employees that get sick and, and don't come to work and, and that is actually a, a much larger cost. Um, an, another way even to look at that is the uh, revenue produced per employee. Um, and if if you look at things from that perspective, then the uh, maintenance of a facility or the decisions you make during construction. Um, have a lot different frame of reference uh, compared to your your biggest um, your biggest resources, basically, which are your employees. So, Kyle, I know that we see a ton of buildings, and I love it with the architecture getting rehabbed. Right, people taking existing buildings, uh, one just because of availability of space, but taking those buildings instead of new construction and turning those into smart buildings. I think that's something that you guys get involved in quite a bit. You want to speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. It's something we, we really uh, look for a lot of times. So our, our Phoenix office that I mentioned, that was a, a retail store before we uh, made it into a, a net zero office. And um, e even our DC office was a, just a class C office space that had been vacant for seven years. And we ended up leasing it and turning that into a uh, net zero facility. And then our, our new one we just did in uh, Sacramento is pretty interesting. It was built in 1940. Um, it was a you know brick structure. And then we added on to it. We, we rehabbed it and added on to it with a mass timber structure with cross laminated timber panels. And so um, that was something that had never been done uh, as a a mass timber structure in the city of Sacramento before. So we actually worked with the uh, city to have that be allowed in the future. So that now that others can use that, those similar systems. Um, and there was an existing uh, concrete garage type area there. So we actually made that a, a thermal labyrinth where we're using it for um, off, 
off-peak heating and cooling by by blowing air through this thermal labyrinth in the building. And uh, that one is actually projected uh, and designed to be net positive energy at, at the end of the day. So it, it's really, um, there's a lot of buildings out there that are, you know, like you said, over overlooked, I think, and in favor of building new shiny buildings. But what we really have an interest in showing is that um, you can look at some of those other buildings that may have been on the market for a while and, and really have a, a positive impact on them and then it, uh, ongoing into the, the neighborhood around them as well. Yeah, I, I love that, right? When you can keep, uh, you know, the integrity of, of, of that building right on the outside, but uh, have it be new. Is, is there an advantage, you know, to using a rehab building versus anything simply new construction? I think overall, uh, from an energy perspective, certainly um, it is a little more difficult in terms of um, you're not controllable from the beginning. You know, you never know exactly what you're going to find as you get into it. But uh, we we have a lot of ways of dealing with that now. With uh, you know, we can we can laser scan and get exactly what the uh, current conditions are, and uh, we we can still really have predictable outcomes in rehabbing a, um, you know, adaptive reuse situation, just as we would with building a new building. So I'm assuming Kyle now, you know, with technology, you know, progressing so fast in commercial buildings, you know, data, right. We have a lot more available, you know, how has technology and data, you know, impacted or changed, uh, you know, how you, uh, do your role, right. Or how you guys, uh, monitor buildings. Certainly. Um, you know, everybody talks about big data and the internet of things and just the, the mass availability of, of data. And um, what we typically deal with, we, we don't get into the data as much from a construction side. That's more on the operations side. But what we really focus on is, is the technology in the building and, and how it'll even change over the life of the product. So if you're talking about a, a two to three year build on a larger building, what what may have been specified, uh, you know, one year before you actually start construction, by the time you go to install that product, it may be, uh, you know, a completely different product. It, you know, that product may not be available. Um, so we, we work a lot with that and try and think ahead of how the technology will actually integrate with the building at the time we construct it and then further on into the life of the building as well. So, uh, you know, we deal now with um, software updates and firmware updates, um, you know, basically anything that is connected to a network has a, has a firmware and a software associated with it. And so we're tracking those through construction as well um, to, to make sure that the, the product works m most effectively and then also that it's secure. So the, the manufacturers are, you know, routinely releasing updates, which impact operation and security of those devices. And so we, we now track those, uh, revisions through the construction process so that we can do a successful, uh, turnover to operations as well. And, and really focus on the, the startup and activation of that facility and, uh, you know, we, we actually have uh, other new roles at DPR now where we have specific integration managers who work on these smart building systems. So we have uh, sort of more traditional uh, MEP coordinators and we have system integrators as well that are working on the more uh, complex integrations and understand the, the IT side of it as well as the, the technical side and how they integrate with building systems. Kyle, you've mentioned before that DPR does some really unique things uh, for the community in the cities where you have buildings. What can you share about that? 
Well, one of the things I'm really excited about with our new Sacramento office is we put a about 10 kilowatt battery backup system in there, um, which is, of course, nice for us. But the idea is that we can also use it as a community hub um, in, in terms of uh, if there's a natural disaster or an event where we need to have that available, we can we can offer it up. And it's just one of the ways we try and be integral and indispensable to our local communities where we work. That's so awesome. I love that. Is that becoming a trend more and more in in the types of buildings that you're that you're constructing? Yeah, I think we're seeing it more and more. You certainly have to think about um, the impact you're having on the community as well. And and I think that is some of where the push for net zero energy and things like that come for for the the greater environment in general. But we really want to focus on the uh, specific environment around our offices as well. Um, in in actually in Sacramento, we have some. Uh, retail space, uh, rental space available on the first floor um, to really provide, um, you know, we've got this really nice building that we just rehabbed and we want to um, offer that to the community as many ways as we can. That's awesome. I love what you're doing over there. Um, Well, we love to wrap this show up with asking our guests to provide a few pieces of advice. So what advice would you give? Uh, we have a lot of energy and sustainability folks listening um, to folks like that who are looking to start net zero or smart building initiatives. Sure. Uh, one thing from, from project conception, so a new build like, like we work with frequently, is um, even look as back as far as site selection. So the, the site can have a really big impact on the ways that you're able to achieve the, the goals that you want, whether it's uh, walkable to public transportation or um, has the, the right access for uh, solar or other types of renewable energy. And um, if the site is really important to you, then that can affect some other things of, you know, if, if that's the place you want to be in, then you need to look at equipment selection and, and other ways that you can achieve the goals that you want. Um, certainly go out and look at other existing sites. You know, I don't think we really have uh, many secrets and people want to show off our offices. And, and you know, we, we certainly do and certainly uh, have, have tours and, and visits all the time. And I think people are really proud to show off these buildings. And so, uh, you know, use your connections and, and go to or other buildings and see what you like and don't like and, and see what's out there. And we, we kind of equate this to, uh, you know, starting at the very beginning and getting the features you want in the building um, versus doing it later, like like putting aftermarket parts on your car. So if you are, are able to buy a new car and pick all the features you want, those are designed from the beginning to work together. Um, it, it just gets more difficult when you buy that car and then add on different pieces and parts later that are maybe not exactly designed to work with the building. I love car analogies. They're my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It means I'm going to have to get rid of the awesome spoiler on the back of my 82 Celica, I guess I'm I'm done. Bummer. (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) So Kyle, when we talk to a lot of building professionals, because there's so much technology coming out, I feel like a lot of times people are, identifying cool technology and then finding some way to use it in your bu- in their buildings. But, but I know you have uh, uh, quite an opinion on actually identifying problems first in the building and then finding solutions to fill that. Right. I, I go to a lot of trade shows as well and I see all the, the new things that are out. And, and I think that's the, the tendency a lot of times um, to, 
take a solution and apply it or, or look for a problem. But what we really try and do um, through, through surveys and observations and in, in data is uh, look for problems that we currently have um, or ways that we could improve things we currently have and then go look for the best solution for that specific case. Um, and, and we find that's a lot more effective in, in adoption of those solutions. Kyle, do you have anything else you'd like to plug um, about DPR or the work that you're doing? Yeah, one more thing coming up, uh, Cortec in November out in the Bay Area, we're actually going to be doing a tour of our San Francisco office. Uh, we'll be a part of that conference and then also participating in the uh, Smart Building Showcase showing off um, a few of our offices. So love to love to see everybody out there for that event. I'll be there. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Well, Kyle, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and sharing, sharing all of your best practices and ideas with us. We hope you come back real soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah, thanks, Kyle. It's awesome. Look forward to seeing you. And for all of the listeners out there, this is the Modern Energy Management Podcast. Be sure to tune in and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are here every week, and we will be back next week with another great story for you. Until then, have a great day.